As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful, Herbal Face Food, for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Together, we'll explore and enjoy content and conversations around mastering transitions. In our relations, our wellness, our careers, our families, and especially in our missions and visions. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I have with me one of my dear old friends from New York. He's been on the podcast before. Let's see if you can guess who it is. He's been on the podcast before. 
He's a meditator. He's a writer. He's a speaker, widely known on Instagram. His pen name, now I'm going to tell you, is Young Pueblo. His given name is Diego Perez. He has over a million people that he reaches online through his written works that focus on the reality of self-healing, the movement from self-love to unconditional love. That's an important one. And the wisdom that comes when we truly work on knowing ourselves. His first book, Inward, was the topic for our first Practice You interview back uh, several months, probably over a year now. And his second book, which is why we're here today, is called Clarity and Connection. It is an epic journey through so many aspects of our living as we're working through this really fraught time. And I just want to say, Diego, Clarity and Connection is a masterpiece. And I thank you so much for putting it out because it is going to help millions of people. And thank you for being here today. Thank you so much, Elena. Mm. Um, I'm honestly just so grateful and it just fills me up with joy every time that we're hanging out or getting to talk. So thank you for having me. Yes, I miss our, our walks in Central Park. Those I do too. <laughs> I really do too. Yeah, we had a handful of these times. Our listener, when um, Diego would come up, I used to live on the Upper East Side and we would take this long, leisurely stroll. We would both reserve like two to three hours and just walk and talk and learn. And both of us learned so much during those talks. Diego, your new book is, as I said, it's a masterpiece. It's beyond, I don't even know what to say. It is reflective of many, many hours that you have spent in Vipassana meditation, working on yourself, listening to yourself, working through yourself. And I would love to talk to our listener a little bit about the benefits of Vipassana and why you love it as much as you do. Yeah. Um, so Vipassana, it has just helped me tremendously. You know, it's, it's almost hard to really even try to even calculate how much it's helped me um, in my own healing. And it's also put me on a path of liberation. But Vipassana, I find that it's so powerful because it works at a really, a really root level. Um, oftentimes, we think that we're being troubled by our thoughts and our emotions, but we don't realize that if these thoughts and these emotions, they trigger sensations on the body. And what we're actually reacting to are our sensations. So Vipassana begins there at that point where the reactions start. And instead of just reacting blindly, like how we're doing you know, in our regular life, we're taught to have equanimity to, towards these sensations. Now, when you have equanimity, you're able to not only develop a new clarity of mind and a deeper ability to observe, but everything that you have accumulated in the past, all of these old reactions that have basically placed, placed imprints in your subconscious, they start unbinding and they start releasing. And when you put yourself through a 10-day course or a 30-day course, what you end up finding is that not only do you come out with new wisdom, but your mind just feels literally lighter than before. And that's why I keep going back. <laughs> Which makes perfect sense to me. And I feel like for some reason, I feel like there's some very strong link between your time in Vipassana and the way that you are able to relate to your uh, relationship, your woman, your family. I would love to talk about how that sort of affects the way in which you relate in every day for our listener. Yeah, I mean, it's totally transformed my relationships, um, especially with my wife, especially with my family, and definitely with my friends as well. Um, I think before I started meditating, and really before, you know, I spent this year between that really low point that I hit and then I started practicing radical honesty. And it was a year after that where I learned how to meditate and started practicing Vipassana. But what I noticed was that my relationships were incredibly shallow and I was oblivious to that. You know, I would go into relationships more focused on what I was gonna get out of them as opposed to what I was gonna put into them. And it became the type of situation where I could just never go deeper with people simply for the fact that I've never gone deeper within myself. Um, and because Vipassana is this sort of like great excavation where you're trying to totally put yourself through a deconditioning process, that just helps you come much more in contact with love and compassion and 
sympathetic joy and just all of these sort of more beautiful aspects of the human condition. And when you have more access to like what I call your true human nature, you're able to just connect with people much more deeply. Yeah, I feel that. I'm looking at page 34 in Clarity and Connection. I trust and feel at home around the ones who are not afraid to be vulnerable with themselves, who live confidently in their power and gentleness, who try their best to live without harming others, who are serious about their growth and healing, and who have the humility to say, I do not know. That is everything right there. That I really connect with that piece in particular because it it's just feels like that one in particular I wrote for myself. Like I was trying to just do a little bit of self-analysis um, where like who who whose company do I really enjoy? And it's people who are bold and brave enough to when a new subject is brought up, they're able to withhold valuation. They're not immediately just evaluating things that they know little about, which is like a very common thing that we do. Um, and they're able to just say, I don't know, you know, and they put their vulnerability forward. And I think when someone is able to model that type of behavior, it just allows other people to immediately open up as well. And you're able to just connect um, on a level that's unforeseen, that's just totally, totally new. I also see on page 35, which is the facing page, it's okay to not have the answer. One of the bravest things you can do is boldly embrace the unknown, accept your fear, and continue to move forward. A clear mission, and it ends with this, a clear mission does not always have a clear path. Yeah, that, that one I wrote like right in the midst of the pandemic. I think it was probably April or May when we were still in the thick of it. I was still in New York City, and the reality was that we didn't know what was going on. You know, we like, it was such a stark, serious time. I remember during that time was when my uncle, he was the one who got sick in our, in my family, he actually ended up passing away. And um, we just didn't have any answers. We didn't know what was going on. But the reality was that we're all dealing with this as a society, but simultaneously we're having, having to deal with this as individuals. And all of us as individuals, we all still have goals. We're all still trying to pursue better aspects of ourselves and continue our personal development and just continue living well. But, um, but we're having to do this amidst this wild pandemic. So it, um, it really hit me how it's fine to just not know all of the answers and you just still got to keep moving forward. On page 37, I also dog-eared this one. This is a longer one, and I think it's interesting because I want to talk about defensiveness with you. You have so much wisdom and insight on this. The mind is inclined to protect itself, but an attitude of defensiveness easily breeds anxiety. Out of caution, we fixate on uncertain information, create stories that can lead to unnecessary fear and mental tension. Taking a moment to notice when we're jumping in, jumping to conclusions can save us from worry and grief. Where did this yeah. come from? This one was just, um, it was an observation that I see not only with myself, but just with everyone. I mean, when we're trying to seriously put ourselves through a transformational process, what you end up finding is that you're going from a survival mindset to a thriving mindset. And a survival mindset will just be based on fear. And that defensive characteristic, it's built up throughout your lifetime, throughout your childhood, but it's also supported evolutionarily, right? Because we're, we're, we're human beings. And before we had civilization, before we have, you know, everything that we know today, our key thing was to survive. And to be able to survive, fear is a useful tool. But if you're only living from a place of fear, then you're going to constantly be jumping to conclusions. You're not going to have trust for anybody. You're always going to be anxious. And being able to settle into the fact that you are safe, that you are, you know, allowed to feel peaceful, that you're able to not only develop your own inner peace, but that inner peace doesn't make you passive. It actually makes you much more active. So switching over from a place of constant reaction and constant fear and having a greater sense of equanimity so that you can better observe what's happening without immediately reacting, um, that's just going to make you a much more effective human being. And if I may, 
I think that the meditation practice, in my own experience, I know that you, you would say the same, helps us to see when we fall into that pattern. Oh, totally. Because it happens like, I don't know, six times a minute. Yeah. <laughs> until slowly you begin to be able to gather yourself and actually sit with your attention resting on awareness rather than on the story for minutes at a time. And I think that's one of the most beautiful aspects of building self-awareness is that it just creates more space in your mind. You know, when you're being really attuned to this motion from from one thought to an emotion, from one thought to an emotion, just seeing it all move along in its different train of thought, you're actually just allowing yourself a little bit more space so that when things get difficult, you start seeing opportunities where there was once just this immediate flip into blind reaction where you're just totally defensive. And instead, you're able to just slow things down a little bit and see your options. Like, okay, I could act the way that I used to act. I can act in this new way, or I can pull myself out of the situation. You just have so many choices in front of you, and then you're much more liable to choose more wisely. But it's something that, you know, it's not immediate. You have to build the habit. Which brings me to page 56. So much of our internal struggle comes out of not embracing change. Mm. Tension decreases when we understand that change is happening at every level, from the atomic to the biological to the mental. A human being is composed of moving parts. Our identity is no different. It is a dynamic phenomenon, similar to a river, flowing, moving, expanding, roaring, weaving, all the time with power, and all the time with the potential to change. Do not limit yourself to a static understanding of who you are. Release your conditioned boundaries and be free. Uh, I think if that's, if that's one of the, I think that's probably the major lesson from this book that I'm trying to pass on is allow your sense of identity to be mutable, allow it to change, yes. allow it to flow. I think we have such a hard time when we don't allow ourselves the flexibility to transform. You know, we're human beings and we're constantly changing. And there's this, there's this um, like trope that I see often within people who are going into healing work where they're trying to go back to their old self, but they don't quite realize that their old self is just a memory, right? That you can't literally go back in time. So if you are trying to heal past wounds, which are very real, right? Because these wounds are imprinted into your subconscious, you can unbind them, but you will never ever really go back. That's not really an option. You know, time flows forward. So what you can do is like literally release the baggage that you've been carrying from the past and allow yourself to unfold and become someone totally new. And I think that's just um, much more inclined towards what's actually happening in reality. You're much more attuned to the laws of the universe than, you know, instead of trying to go backwards. Which also brings me to page 77, because there's this, as you said, you called it frustrating, unavoidable situation, which we're in pretty much all the time right now. You ask us here to treat our mental energy like a precious resource. Treat our mental energy like a precious resource instead of fueling frustration with more agitation. Okay. I think the combination of 56 and 77 is like the whole story. <laughs> Honestly, talk to us about treating your mental energy like a precious resource. I think there's this, um, this like subtle balance, right? You definitely don't want to repress anything. You don't want to suppress anything because then you're just accumulating more things that you're going to have to deal with later. But it's totally okay to redirect your energy. There's subtle space between the two that is totally, you know, it's, it, it's, for us to benefit from. And oftentimes what you're doing when you're meditating is you're just constantly redirecting your energy. Like if you're working for the breath, for example, you know, the mind is always wandering. The mind is like a theater and it's constantly playing out some emotion or another, some narrative or another, but it's okay for you to pull yourself out of that and just bring yourself back to your breath and do that repeatedly, repeatedly. And you're actually training your mind to be much more aware of the present moment. But 
similarly, if you're finding that you're just like walking down the street and you start feeling this tension and it grabs onto a story or it tries to bring, bring up some old grudge, it's totally fine to pull yourself out of the story and bring yourself back into the present. Like look at the trees, look at the street, look at the sky, you know, notice what's actually happening in front of you as opposed to just rolling in this story that has nothing to do with what's happening right now. Which goes back to the previous comment uh, about the past, how, how stuck we get mm. in the past. I'm on now page 78. Many of our, these are all pages, by the way, that I've tagged for us to talk about that just blew my mind or inspired a question. You say on page 78, many of our emotional reactions do not have to do with what is currently going on. <laughs> They are actually old emotions accumulated from the past, patterns that arise when familiar situations appear. This is where I think the, the meditation is most pivotal. Absolutely. It's, um, I think that's something that comes up. It comes up generally for a lot of people, um, whether they meditate or not. You know, like you will be moving through life and then a difficult situation will happen. And that difficult situation will immediately trigger your perception and your perception will, will basically connect you to a situation that is very similar to what's happening right now, but it'll, it'll remind you of what's happened in the past. So the mind will immediately equate the present with the past and you'll start feeling these old emotions come up. And the difficult thing is when you don't have a tool to process these emotions, because then what ends up happening is you quickly start multiplying them as opposed to using that as an opportunity to observe them and release them. But it's, it's very common. Yeah. Yeah. And, and on page 86, which sort of refines this conversation, reclaiming your power is noticing when a story based on assumptions, you could put in parentheses past here, when a story based on assumptions is making your mind tense. Oh my God. And intentionally bringing yourself back to the present moment as a way to cut the delusion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> what strong words. It's so, it, you can feel the hours of mental grappling that you have done in order to come up with this, such a concise teaching. I'll read it again. Reclaiming your power is noticing when a story based on assumptions is making your mind tense and intentionally bring yourself back to the present moment as a way to cut the delusion. Dude, it's just so good. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you resonate with it. Um, I think it's something like as a meditator, when you're in a retreat, you just, you see it so clearly, you know, you see that delusion and, and it's funny because the, you know, the, the, the suffering that we cause ourselves, it most often comes up in the form of mental tension. We're just like, we live with these very tense minds because there's a bit of attachment there that we're either unaware of or we are aware of and we continue pursuing. And being able to just like, just accept reality, you know, just accept what's happening and accept it in a way where like, no, we're not asking. Again, like people really fear being passive, but these mental tools, like these uh, reflective topics that I write about, they're not about passiveness. They're about being able to move through reality with less friction and still pursuing your goals because you're not going to be able to do the things you want to do by just playing around with the stories in your mind or getting caught up with the stories in your mind. Reality is going to happen and it's going to happen through your actions and through your interpersonal uh, situations that are happening in front of you. So you're better off just being here and now as opposed to just being in the past and being in the future in your mind. Yeah, I got that. Page 91. If you're following along, I hope this is helpful. Our listener, know your sources of rejuvenation. We pivot here. Know your sources of rejuvenation. The amount of solitude you need to feel fresh again. The activities that strengthen your creativity. The people who light up your spirit. Okay. Our listener, really, truly, if you've heard anything that we've said, 
and you know these sources, and you actually take the time to respect what you know about the amount of solitude you need to feel fresh, the activities that strengthen your creativity, and the people who light you up, if you respect those three things, you will live a long, happy life. This is medicine. That's straight medicine. Page 91 in Clarity and Connection. And this is where I want our conversation to pivot because I feel like you have a great deal of insane insight on relationship. James and I have benefited greatly just from reading aloud a lot of the commentary that you've given us in this book on relationship, which starts right around here, but it's sort of peppered throughout. On page 95, three thoughts. Relationships normally start with two people wanting to treat each other well. Harm is caused when someone does not know how to properly manage their reactions to their emotions. <laughs> Raise your hand if you've been in this before. If you think you are your emotions, then your words and your actions will resemble your mental turbulence. In relationships, it's important to understand that the other person cannot fix your emotional problems. At best, they can support you as you uncover and process your own emotional history. There's no such thing as a perfect relationship, you go on to say. But there are incredible relationships in which the mutual connection and support are indescribably profound. Mm. Wow. So we can hope for this in our friendships too, as well as our, you know, sort of quote unquote romantic relationships. But here's the thing that I underlined here. Harm is caused when someone doesn't know how to properly manage their reactions to their emotions. It's not about managing your emotions. It's managing your reactions to your emotions. This is something I would love for you to expound on a bit. Yeah, I'm really trying to drive that point in the book. And, you know, I try to do it through a number of pieces and I, and I deal with it more directly a little later on, but it's important to understand that like, you're still like, even as you're healing yourself, even as you're, you know, doing your work, either through a therapist or through meditation or whatever tool that you find that really fits you, you're not going to get rid of your emotions, right? Like you're still going to be feeling emotions. You're still going to be moving through the spectrum of emotions that all human beings go through. But what can change is the intensity of the reaction to your emotions or really to your sensations that your emotions are causing so being able to really you know recognize oh right this is sadness or this is happy you know not this is like sadness or this is anxiety or this is some sort of tension being able to recognize it for what it is and just allow it to be there without throwing more fire on the fire that's already burning there it's important to realize that oftentimes like yeah we will feel some sort of agitation but then we end up trying to get rid of the agitation with more agitation and it always backfires because that's not the way to stop this inner fire from burning. You're better off cooling it by giving it space or peace or just allowing it to be what it is and letting it pass on its own time. Um, so really recognizing that a lot of our struggle is by letting our reactions just run wild. And um, you don't, you know, this isn't you being like fake or anything like that because you, you can allow your emotions to be what they are and simultaneously just not add to them. Just let them be what they are. And then you'll notice that you're going to be causing yourself a lot less tension in your mind. And you'll probably attract somebody who can work with you in the department of having no assumptions or projections and just working together. Yeah, definitely. It's it's a really beautiful thing when you're able to find someone who even has a tiny bit of emotional maturity, you know, because I, I know how it goes. Like with my wife and I, we, we really went through this giant struggle together because we'd been together for years. I think it's been about 13 years that we've been together now because we met very young. She was 18 and I was 19 when we first got together, but we had zero emotional maturity back then, either of us. And our relationship was pretty chaotic. But then once we started meditating, once we started developing self-awareness, once we started really developing patience and a new ability to just, you know, heal our own past wounds, that allowed for 
that little bit of emotional maturity that we started developing to just take our relationship between the two of us to a whole deeper level. And I think, you know, a lot of times we think about like, oh, I have to be fully healed before I can go into a, a really good relationship, or I have to be, um, you know, perfectly emotionally mature. But the reality is that, you know, these are very, very long paths that could take your whole lifetime. So you're better off just starting the work and then finding someone who can meet your level of commitment. And that will help you both, you know, because you have some experience doing your inner work, you'll have a little more patience when there are those difficult moments in your relationships and you'll be able to enjoy the beautiful times together so much more. You also talk about, we're on page 132 and 133 now, which are like, basically my listener, if you want to learn how to be in a relationship, just keep these two pages open next to your bed. Too often, you say at the top of 132, too often we keep our expectations to ourselves or we only partially hint at what we want. We do not realize that we would be better off exploring the ways we wish to be supported through clear communication. When we're straightforward with others about what we need to feel safe and loved, we give them the opportunity to show up for us. Can you, I mean, is there anything that more that we need really? When, <laughs> when James and I are able to do this, we shine. I feel him so strongly and all I needed to do in the end was not keep my expectation to myself. I mean, uh, obviously you go on to say later in the book that expectations can be tossed out the window and instead just bring your commitment to supporting the other person. But if you have an expectation that's stuck in you, you don't communicate it. And then you like partially hinted it, as you said, and expect the other person to know, and then say F you when they don't know, that's a recipe for exactly the disaster that you think is going to happen. Whereas, oh. <laughs> I, I mean, as you said, when we're straightforward with others about what we need to feel safe and loved, like those, that's the, that's the sentence. Yeah, it's a, it's so key. And it really makes me think like, don't like literally don't expect me to read your mind because you're then setting me up to fail. Just tell me how I can support you. And then once we get to know each other much better, then it's going to be a clearer, like, you know, the, the fluid, the fluidness between how I support you and how you support me will be much more open and flexible and clear. And through then I can better like, you know, if it comes to like a surprise or how to treat you for your birthday or how to just like do something special for you, it'll become much clearer because we need to learn each other first before we can, um, you know, really treat each other well. So in the beginning, especially in the middle and the end, always just communicate openly. This is how you can support me. This is how I can support you. And you'll be saving yourself a world of trouble. You go on to say that we're all different. Even when we share a clear connection that we can build on, even, you don't say this in your book, but like even when you're having great sex, even when it's awesome, you say, we still need to learn one another's likes, dislikes, strengths, past emotional struggles, and reactive patterns. Communicating our needs, desires, and personal emotional history gives both people the information they need to better understand each other and the opportunity to feel the natural volition to commit and say, quote, these are the areas where I can do my best to meet you. This is how I can try my best to show up for you end quote. In this way, you conclude, we transform our private expectations into opportunities for commitment. That's so strong. Yeah, it's so clear. I think, um, honestly, and that that's been my experience and the relationship between my wife and I, it's, um, it's, it's always been experimental where we're trying to better understand each other so that we can better feed the relationship between the two of us. And the key is just like, how, how can I understand you if we're not communicating? And also understanding that the both of us are constantly changing beings. And one of the fun things, you know, because she's a very serious meditator as well, 
when we go away to retreats and then we come out, you know, like just recently we did a 30 day meditation course that was from January to February. And when we came out, like both of us were totally different people, you know, like the things that we liked, the things that we disliked, what we were interested in, you know, they they were substantially different. And it's fun just getting to know each other again and again, because we're just never the same. And that, you know, whether you meditate or not, you're going to notice that you're always shifting. You really are like a river. You're just moving and weaving and changing. And your partner, you know, a good partner will be open to receiving you in all of your multiplicity, you know, in all the ways that you exist. On page 133, which is the other, I think the page is like, leave it open, listener. Do you have the book with you? I was wondering if you could read this to us. I actually don't have it on on hand. So cute. It's always the case. (laughs) <laughs> uh, that's why I asked. Like I always, I always have it because very often the author just gave away their last copy. So listener, you're about to get a big treat. And if you're in a relationship for any length of time, a week or a lifetime, this will be important. So perk up your ears. Page 133. The difference here is subtle but important. There is much greater harmony in a relationship when neither party is attempting to be in control of it. Expectations are often attachments to shaping outcomes, and they may leave one or both partners feeling cornered and powerless. Freedom amongst people, in relationships and outside of them, is based on understanding and voluntary commitments. Understanding and voluntary commitments. Situations in which no one feels pushed to be a certain way. When we transform our expectations into opportunities for commitment, we are cultivating freedom in our relationships. Even when clear communication and voluntary commitments are practiced, we should still watch out for manipulative behavior. The desire for control can reappear in quiet ways, sometimes even unconsciously. You know voluntary commitments are being respected when you can freely say no to a request without resistance, especially if it feels outside of the bounds of your personal safety or comfort or goals. Like, wow. <laughs> that, um, say more. I've really tried to hone in on this idea of voluntary commitments that, you know, was really inspired by the politics of anarchism. But voluntary commitments, when you take this idea within the home of a relationship, you, you literally can't, um, you know, it's, it's just not going to work if you try to control someone. It's not going to work if you try to be coercive in a sneaky way. And it's definitely not going to work if you're like, you know, blatantly manipulative. But what does work is like what we were mentioning before is if you say, okay, these are the ways that I could support you. This is the way that I would like to be supported. Now, where can we meet in the middle? And if the both of you find your own sort of common ground and you both, you know, feel that natural volition that yes, you know, this thing that you're asking, I can do that for you. And I will try to do that for you. I may not do it perfectly, but I can try. And I think that's the beauty of finding a relationship and building one that's actually healthy is when both people feel that volition to support each other, that's when the real magic happens. But if it's not voluntary, then it's just not going to work. Yeah. On page 156, do not think in extremes. The answer is rarely all or nothing. Skillful action is finding pathways even amidst contradictory options. Solutions are found by going beyond the superficial into the subtle. Understand that life is the integration of complexity. Everything is situational and multilinear. And this is the key. Find the middle path. Find the middle path. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I'm so glad and and Ugh. a little surprised that you read that one because I just like snuck that one into the book because it felt so important to me. But I was like, I don't think anyone's gonna like this one. But I'm just gonna sneak it in there, <laughs> dude. That's the that's if we were to pick out like the top three, it's that one. 
it's one of the relationship ones and it's one of the very first ones nice managing i'm so glad i'm so glad you like that one i thought i thought that one was really important because like we're literally inundated with information like from from everywhere from social media from the newspapers from our friends from our families like everyone is sending you an article everyone you know your algorithms trying to feed you this information that information and what ends up happening is that it like really works on this like on our most basic like fear-based instincts where you will go from hating something to loving it and just sort of sort of swaying back and forth between extremes and i think it's it's a dangerous way to live you know because then you're missing out the opportunity for clarity to really be able to see the thing as it is without projecting you know your emotions or your emotional history onto it and just taking it in you know selflessly but if you're just constantly swaying between extremes and you're also not embracing the fact that like life is super complicated and every individual if they are to arrive at a particular moment then that means that they have to traverse like such a giant journey to be able to get to this moment so they are literally the epitome of complexity and to be able to only sort of analyze them from this one moment in time it's completely unfair you have to take into consideration their entire history where they come from what happens like how do they become who they are right now and be able to have compassion towards that but it's such a it's such a thing that you know i'm constantly working on is just like don't sway from extreme to extreme if i'm going from hating something to loving something then that means that i'm out of balance so i need to you know have more objectivity in this situation that is perhaps some of the most important teaching any of us will hear this year right there on page 240 we're closing it up our task is to think and act more collectively while supporting the freedom of the individual. This is important. To standardize the humane treatment of all people. To expand our idea of human rights to include economic empowerment. To dream and act big. To be the leaders we wish existed. We have the power to reorganize the world and to make compassion structural. Yeah, that that one is a uh, that one that piece and really those last sort of like 15 pages, I really wrote those for myself. I was like I I want to live my values and I really want to cuz it's one thing to just write about personal transformation, but the whole point of Young Pueblo, this project that I'm taking on is I want to be able to clearly connect personal transformation with building a better society and how valuable it is for you to love yourself more to know yourself more to build your inner peace and then to use all this new mental clarity that you've developed to not only help deepen your connections with other people but to help build a better society and it just it felt so important you know especially after 2020 which was just such a historic humongous year in terms of like you know everything that happened we know that so many things are coming to a head so we have to just be really honest our world we've come a long way but we have a long way to go especially in terms of like economic inequality racism patriarchy transphobia like you can just go on and on like there are so many people who are not being fully treated as human beings and we need to be honest with the fact that this is the situation that we do have oppressive system systems that we can you know have we have to fully observe and then work on undoing so that we can then replace those systems with structural compassion and i like that sort of that terminology of structural compassion because we understand compassion on the individual one-on-one level right if you're struggling i can feel compassion towards you and i can try to show up in your life in a way that supports you into coming out you know a better version of yourself or to overcome whatever difficult situation you're going through but similarly we can also do that as a society as a people we can literally scale up compassion and um 
thinking about this in a regenerative way is um, I think it's something that like more and more of us are going to be able to like fill in the blanks of this idea of structural compassion because it's not just my idea, but it's something that I hope other people also build on because it's going to take a lot of us to, you know, heal our minds, develop our own sort of inner love, which will enhance our personal creativity. And we can then take that creativity and bring it to old problems and come up with new solutions. But literally being able to replace systems of harm with structural compassion to me is like the clear goal. Page 241. Imagine a world where love guides society. People would not be hungry nor in danger. Bodies would feel safe, minds fully nourished, voices would be heard, and differences respected. Disputes would be handled without violence or terror. Everyone would have access to the things they need to flourish. Sharing, listening, telling the truth, not harming each other, being kind to one another, cleaning up after ourselves. Essential lessons we were taught as small children would be taken to heart by adults and woven into a new global culture. May it be so. Yeah, may it be so, may it be so. Um, yeah, it's, it's, so. I'm, I'm really, I think what gives me the most hope is the fact that uh, healing has become such a widespread um, not only idea, but something that's being actualized all throughout the world. And one thing that I'm really hoping is that more and more people not only take their mental health seriously, but that we start developing uh, deep healing initiatives so that more you know, cities and states can actually support people in doing their healing work so that people who can't afford therapy are supported in going to therapy or people who don't have the money to go to a meditation retreat, the state could support them in actually going to a meditation retreat, or just because it's it's very, um, it's very case by case, right? The technique, like you and I, like we practice different modalities, but we are both benefiting from them so much. So it's not that one's better than the other at all, but it's just that you know what works for you and I know what works for me. So it's very case by case for all people because we all have very different um, emotional histories and very different mental conditioning. But if more, um, you know, states are actually able to support people and doing this type of healing work, then can you imagine the like ripples of change that will come out if more people are able to heal themselves? We're literally going to have this radical transformation of the world. Yeah, I feel I wish I could read both of the final pages of the book, but I'm going to leave the very last page for our listener to find it for themselves. But I will read you page 242 to close. Meet those you encounter with genuine compassion. Live with intentional gentleness. Cultivate peace with your hands and words. Be generous with your kindness Allow others to share in the bounty of a heart that dedicates itself to goodwill. These are marvels of the human spirit, actions that are most easily taken by healed hearts. Not only do these ways of being help our minds settle into inner peace, but they create safer spaces in a world that is always moving in and out of turmoil. To bring such goodness into the world will benefit many and bring its own countless rewards. <laughs> yeah. You're pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> You're pretty good. <laughs> oh my gosh. Just like amen to every single thing that I've read from your book today. This book is basically now at the top of my pile and it's being used pretty much in almost any presentation that I'm giving, doesn't matter what it's for or for whom. And I have to say, on behalf of my listener and myself, anyone else who visits your Instagram with any frequency as I do, I basically post one of your Instagrams at least weekly, if not more so. Thank you. Oh, thank you so thank much, you. Elena. And I honestly, yeah. thank you so much for <clears throat> for being like, I think one of the most early adopters. I think um you found me when I was at like maybe like 40k or something like that, 40,000 followers, and mm -hmm, you've been lifting mm -hmm. up my work ever since. And I'm just 
ever, ever so grateful for all your support. And thank you. Just thank you for being you and for always inspiring me so profoundly. Mm. Your gift. And I love you. And I love Sarah. And I thank you for being here today. Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and 5 free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.